from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up. I, Joseph Robinette Biden, Jr., do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. That was Joe Biden taking the oath of office today, becoming the 46th President of the United States. And he has already put his presidential pen to work, with the Democrats holding razor-thin margins in the House and the Senate. The question is, will Joe Biden be able to get legislation through, or will he rely on executive orders? We'll talk about it with National Review columnist John Fund in just a moment. Also, the Trump administration worked until the 11th hour, advancing the principles underlying America's pursuit of greatness. On Monday, the Trump administration's White House uh, Commission, 1776 Commission, rather, released its final report encouraging Americans to, quote, reject false and fashionable ideologies that obscure facts, ignore historical context, and tell America's story solely as one of oppression and victimhood, end quote. Well, the media and the rest of the left have dismissed the report, with many claiming the report was produced by academically inferior racists. <laughs> We'll talk about it with Dr. Carol Swain, former professor at Vanderbilt University. And President Trump left town this morning, heading to Florida. A goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form. We'll talk about his departing words. Finally, a top priority for the Biden administration, continuing the left's repurposing of public education all intended to indoctrinate our children with lies about sex. How do we know this, and how can you prevent it? Well, Joy Pullman, executive editor of The Federalist, is here with those answers. The website, TonyPerkins.com. I was going to say if you're on Parlor, but Parlor's not there. Uh, you can text the word STAND, though, to 67742, 67742, and you can stay in touch with us as social media continues to purge conservatives, you need to stay in touch, you need to know what's going on. You cannot trust the legacy media. Text the word STAND to 67742. And speaking of that tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray Vote Stand. This week's edition, Pray Vote Stand. Uh, Bishop Vincent Matthews will be with me, uh, as well as uh, other pastors from across the nation joining uh, to pray tonight for our nation. Again, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray Vote Stand. All right, as I mentioned earlier today, Joe Biden was sworn into office as America's 46th president. He's already put his executive pen to work, signing executive orders overturning those of President Trump. But according to reports, he has an extensive list of about 53 planned executive orders that will take several weeks to issue. Joining me now to get into the details is National Review columnist and newsletter editor at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, John Fun. John, welcome back to the program. Pleasure, Tony. Thank you. All right. So the the uh, the new president has a a, a, a to do list that's quite extensive when it comes to executive orders. What what's uh, what's on tap? What has he already done today, and what's on tap for this week? Oh, today we saw the Paris Accords. That's the climate change treaty that President uh, Trump uh, re, re, uh, rescinded. Uh, we also saw a racial equity. Uh, commission and uh, the 53 executive orders that you mentioned tony are all in the next 10 days now for comparison 
in President Trump's first 10 days, he issued six executive orders four years ago. Uh, quite an aggressive uh, agenda, as you said. We're dealing with immigration. What, what is he looking at in terms of immigration as it pertains to executive action? Well, there'll be uh, a halt to deportations. Uh, there will be a, a halt to uh, removing uh, people uh, from uh, the travel lists that are allowed into the country. And, of course, it goes even further. Um, it's not immigration, but he's going to rescind the Mexico City policy that blocks the U.S. from giving federal funding to international groups that provide or promote abortion. Yeah, that's uh, that was fully expected. Every Democratic president has uh, rescinded that. The Republicans put it back when they come in order or uh, come into office. Uh, also, uh, mandating mask apparently on his list of uh, executive orders that on federal properties, interstate uh, transportation, you have to wear a mask. Yeah, and, you know, obviously that is within the purview of a presidential order. Biden was urged to go further than that by his left-wing supporters and have a federal mask mandate throughout the entire country. But even he drew the line there and said, I don't think a president in a federalist system can do that. So uh, there is a little bit of the old Joe Biden that still peeks around the corner once in a while. Now, he uh, he has plans, I think, for next week as he... Um moves into the climate area, is going to have a summit, I think, uh, in April on climate change. Uh, but he also will sign an order calling for science and evidence-based decision-making across federal agencies. What does that entail? What's that focused on? Well, if you strip away the wording, uh, it's basically how can the federal government mandate uh, carbon taxes and other measures which would, uh, I think, take away the energy independence that President Trump brought us. Uh, basically, Biden doesn't want to burn any fossil fuels. He said that he wasn't going to do that during the campaign, um, and it's true. He probably will not uh, say you can't use fossil fuels. You just won't be able to take them out of the ground. This is going to cause an increase, I would think, because America has become energy independent and we've actually become an exporter of oil. This is going to cause a rise in gasoline uh, cost, uh, energy cost overall. Uh, but he's also, I think, pursuing a gasoline tax, is he not? Well, we have an infrastructure bill that has to be paid for, or at least something has to be paid for. And uh, I suspect you'll see charges, fees, assessments, uh, you'll you see everything placed as a burden on the American consumer, Tony, except for the word tax. Uh, you'll try to avoid that as much as possible. Uh, John, I think if, if we begin to scale back our energy production, uh, put additional taxes or whatever you want to call them on the consumption, that's going to stall any type of economic comeback from the effects of the coronavirus, would it not? Well, as you know, uh, the biggest problem we have in the economy right now is we're a tale of two countries. Uh, half the countries in a form of economic lockdown, New York, Illinois, California, the other half of the country is doing pretty well. Uh, we are vaccinating people uh, chaotically but slowly. And uh, the, the economy it would recover normally. But if you impose too many burdens on the re recovery and you don't prod 
these Democratic governors like Pritzker in Illinois and Cuomo in New York and Newsom in California to open up their economy, yes, we're going to have a much slower recovery than we otherwise would have. So, John Fun, let me ask you this. When we move to his legislative agenda, which is going to be more difficult for him, being that uh, he has very little margins, uh, very, very small margins in both the House and the Senate, um, the $1.9 trillion relief package, um, a lot of that is to bail out these cities and states that have refused to reopen their economies. I mean, how is that going to go over with the American people? Well, basically, what Biden is telling the American people is, if you're from a state that voted for me, um, your leaders are going to be bailed out of their problems. And if you're from a state that didn't vote for me and did the right thing in opening up the economy and while practicing prudent public health measures to contain the virus, uh, you're out of luck because you're going to be handed the bill. That's certainly what it uh, looks like, so much for the unity that he was talking about. Going further in his legislative agenda, by the way, let me. do you think he has the votes as long as the filibuster rule remains in place in the Senate? Will he get 60 votes to uh, to pass a $1.9 trillion relief package? Oh, I think it'll be less than that. But in the end, uh, there's going to be enormous pressure. Uh, remember that, sadly, it was President Trump who decided to go around uh, his fellow Republican senators and say, well, you passed $600 checks for every American. I want 2000 So Biden can simply reference the Trump administration's proposal while he tries to corral some Republican votes. So it won't be as big as $1.9 trillion, but it'll be a humdinger. Yeah, and uh, whatever it is, we can't afford it when you look at the uh, the current debt that we're managing. When uh, you look further down the road on legislative action, also immigration reform, I mean, that's long been a, um, a sticky issue. Will he succeed in getting an immigration bill through the United States Senate? Well, just remember, uh, there was a Republican-backed bill by some moderates like John McCain in 2013 that was uh, halted in its tracks by an incredible uh, talk radio and grassroots uh, revolt that you were part of, Tony, and Family Research Council was. Uh, the problem is, will the Republican leadership in the Senate uh, take that bill as a starting point in their negotiations with Biden? His bill goes way beyond what that 2013 uh, citizenship amnesty bill would have right. meant. Uh, so the question is, where's the starting point for the Republican Party in negotiating with Biden? Some kind of immigration bill is going to pass. Now, events can also overtake us. There's a caravan of 9,000 people moving up from Guatemala to the U.S. border because they've heard there's a new president of the United States and, you know, it's the land of milk and honey, and they're going to cross over. So if Biden isn't careful, uh, his best laid plans for immigration reform uh, will run into the reality of people trying to cross the border, and that can change public opinion overnight. Right, and this bill that uh, reportedly is calling for uh, those 11 million illegal aliens that are in the United States to uh, to be put on a pathway of uh, citizenship. Uh, so, you know, that might be why uh, Joe Biden is, was telling, and, and those around him telling, um, those coming in that caravan, this is not the time. Uh, would not factor well, I think, into 
their plans. Uh, what are some of the other legislative initiatives that you think Joe Biden is going to be pushing early in, uh, in, in his administration? Well, the biggest short-term danger is a bill called H.R. 1, House mm-hmm. Resolution 1. It was the bill that Nancy Pelosi uh, introduced first when she became Speaker. It was blocked in the Republican Senate. Uh, but now, of course, with Democrats having a 50-50 uh, control, it'll come back. H.R. 1 is a complete rewriting of our election laws. It's a complete rewriting of our political free speech laws. It basically would nationalize our election laws, same-day voter registration, uh, automatic voter registration. It would change our election laws, Tony, in ways that would make the irregularities of the 2020 election look like a Tea Party. And it would be designed on purpose by Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi to make sure Republicans don't win elections in the future. It'd be very similar to what California did when they got the supermajority, changing the laws to make sure they kept that majority. Absolutely. That's why it has to be stopped. The number one priority of all of us. All right, John Fun, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, as always, uh, great to talk with you, and I know you know a lot about elections. You've been covering election fraud for a long time. All right, folks, uh, don't go away. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the 1776 Commission. Dr. Carol Swain joins me. Uh, The left going crazy as the uh, Trump administration takes a deep look at education in the problems of what's happening in America's classrooms. We're going to talk about that next. Dr. Carol Swain, don't go away. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll... It was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. All of these resources are free and available at frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org worldview. 
Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch. The website TonyPerkins.com. Let me get in. Uh, let me remind you again tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Pray, vote, stand. This week's edition will be joined by Bishop Vincent Matthews, Pastor Gary Hamrick, and Pastor Amado Wezar from uh, San Diego, California. So that's uh, tonight, 8 p.m. As we uh, pray for our nation. Right. Each passing year, it seems like we get a little further away from the actual facts about America's founding. A recent study has shown many middle school students don't even have a competent understanding of American history. And then you add in initiatives like the New York Times 1619 Project, and you begin to understand why America has an identity crisis. Well, President Trump saw an opportunity to address this issue and created the 1776 Commission to help get the facts straight and really to challenge the left, which has quite frankly gone unchallenged. Of course, the commission's final report, which was released on Monday, was met with hostility from those on the left. Here's MSNBC's host, Joy Reid. So you have Mike Pompeo, as I mentioned before, wailing on about wokeism and multiculturalism and saying, why are you so mean to people who own slaves? Be nice to them. You have this 1776 commission, which is a laughable attempt to sort of rip off the 1619 project with a new version of history that says, no, slavery was fine. It's all good. Don't say mean things about our founders. Well, joining me now to talk about this, quote unquote, laughable project is uh, Dr. Carol Swain, a retired professor of political science and law at Vanderbilt University and a member of the commission. She is also the host of Be the People podcast, heard on the America Out Loud talk radio network, as well as Two Minutes to Think About It on Bot Radio Network. Dr. Swain, welcome back to the program. It's my pleasure. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to, to Joy Reid about the mockery, and she's not the only one, of the work of this commission. Well, I mean, the New York Times, you would uh, expect the New York Times to go after us because we are a reaction to their flawed 1619 project. And what troubles me so much about the political left, the media, is that they will not engage facts, that they yes. trade in distortions and lies. And so her description of our report is nothing like the actual report. And I would encourage all the listeners and people, you know, that are undecided to download 
the uh, 45-page report and appendices and make up their own minds. And I have been told that the report has been removed from the White House uh, website, but it is on my nonprofit website, Be the People uh, uh, Project page, as well as uh, Hillsdale College. It will be posted there and other places. So the report will live on in history, whether or not the left embraces it. It was a bold and very successful attempt to direct people back to our nation's founding and the need, you know, for us to appreciate the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Federalist Papers, and how those documents shaped us as a nation. Yeah, I, I think it was timely. I actually would have liked to see it come out even earlier so it have, could have gotten more traction. Uh, but nonetheless, it's there. And if we don't have it up on our website, we're going to get a link uh, to that up on our website. Now, let me let me ask one of the questions, some of the criticism, again, baseless. And I want to go back to your point, but chase a rabbit here, go back to your point about the left doesn't want to debate this or have a conversation. You're absolutely right. I've seen that over the last 15 years. Used to, there was a time uh, when you had classic liberals uh, or liberals that you could debate. You could actually have a debate over an issue. But the problem is they've gotten so far away from reality in their policies. I mean, this whole thing like gender and all this different stuff, they they can't support it. They can't back it up. So they just want to silence the other side. They won't even have the debate. But we see this rewriting of American history. There's no way for them to validate their claims. They can't back it up. And so they just don't want to have the conversation and they diss any effort to bring forth the actual facts about who America, uh, what, what, what America is based upon its founding and those founding ideals and principles. Well, I agree, but it, it, we are living through frightening times in the sense that I never thought I would see the political left in the form of big tech shut down all voices of opposition. And when the left uh, the, uh, and the new president talks about unity and tolerance, they have redefined the whole concept uh, far away from anything that we would associate with those principles. And it seems to be that unity and tolerance now means um, that you have to go along with them or else. Right. Right. That's where you get that's where you have agreement. If you agree with them, you have unity. Uh, if you don't, then there's no unity. Uh, two issues they brought up about this. Uh, one is the lack of uh, uh, those who were a part of this, the 18-member commission, that they had uh, really no academic credentials for this. Respond to that. Well, I mean, that's not uh, true because there were people, the, the Larry Arn and I, as well as uh, uh, Victor Davis Hansen and others on the committee, they did have credentials. I certainly did. And uh, and Matthew Spaulding. So I don't think that that's a valid reason. They should judge it by the the product itself. Right. Um, and, 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 and if the there other are ideas, the other point that we presented that was inaccurate, then deal with it. Point it out. The uh, well, they don't want to. That's why they just they they throw they hurl these insults. The other is that this this was driven by racist. Now, can can you respond to that, Carol Swain, an African American? It was driven by a quest for truth and an effort to save our country 
from uh, the ignorance that the political left would foster on our society by not teaching our young people and reminding our adults about our nation's founding and our Constitution, because many of the things that they're doing to us right now would not be tolerated if people actually knew how our nation was founded, what it's about, and what people have lived and died for all of these centuries. Yes, you're absolutely right. So important, so important. And, again, we're going to encourage people to take a look at this uh, report. Thank you for uh, committing your time to be a part of that, and thank you for joining us today, Carol Swain. Thank you. Bye. All right, Dr. Carol Swain, great lady, uh, a real fighter. And and it's been, I mean, it's it's amazing when someone like that succeeds, how the left cannot stand it. All right, when we come back, the president yesterday making a farewell address, and then today a few parting words at Andrews Air Force Base. We're going to talk about those parting words next. Don't go away. The history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org slash China. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow. I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? You're listening to Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins. All right, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray, Vote, Stand. I invite you to uh, to join us for that. We'll be joined by Bishop Vincent Matthews, Pastor Gary Hamrick, and Pastor Amato Weasel. So that's uh, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be praying for our nation. All right, let me just... Uh, couple of thoughts here. President Trump yesterday making his uh, farewell address to the nation. And, you know, I think a lot of people see now if we, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. you know, if the president um, 
if things would have ended differently, although I still think even if we wouldn't have the events of two weeks ago, uh, that the, the media never would have given the president a break. They would have just continued to hound him. But he was so focused on the election irregularities, which are real, and by the way, which we are not going to drop. Uh, we're going to be looking at state legislatures and the responsibility they have to address the issues that came up in this last election. And as uh, John Fun said, we're going to be watching this H.R. 1. We cannot allow the, uh, the left to lock in an election system that, uh, you know, allows the type of activity that took place in the last election. We have to have f- free and fair elections. And I, so I understand the frustration of the president. Again, I think if things could have been done differently. It would have been a lot better because it wouldn't have tarnished the four years of remarkable, remarkable activity that this administration was engaged in. The men and women who worked in this administration sacrificially, on many accounts, uh, to advance those core principles that gave America the opportunity to be to be a great nation, returning to those founding principles and ideals. And my, my hat's off to the men and women who served in the Trump administration. They did a remarkable job, and I can tell you that from firsthand knowledge of, uh, of working alongside them, watching them. In fact, a number of individuals that had been at the Family Research Council joined the administration because of the calls uh, for what they were fighting for. And so uh, let's not forget the accomplishments of this administration. But uh, yesterday in the president, uh, in his farewell address, uh, talked about the difficult path that he chose. He chose to do the hard things. Play clip number five. As president, my top priority, my constant concern, has always been the best interests of American workers and American families. I did not seek the easiest course. By far, it was actually the most difficult. I did not seek the path that would get the least criticism. I took on the tough battles, the hardest fights, the most difficult choices, because that's what you elected me to do. Your needs were my first and last unyielding focus. I don't think anyone can accuse President Trump of taking the easy route on anything. He did fight. He fought against the left, and I think that's why there was such a dust-up, is there's never been, in my lifetime, a Republican, you know, probably the closest it came to it was Ronald Reagan, Um, but even he didn't press the way Donald Trump did. And plus, the left had not made such advancements as they had under, really, Barack Obama. Uh, You know, Bill Clinton actually appears moderate. Uh, compared to what we've seen in the last, well, what we saw in Barack Obama's two terms and what we're probably going to see under Joe Biden. And so what Donald Trump did is he he was going about dismantling the infrastructure of the left. And had he had another four years, I think it would have saved the republic 20 years uh, because of the work that he was doing. Uh, Another quote he said yesterday talks about the censorship, which he experienced firsthand. Play clip number six. In America, we don't insist on absolute conformity or enforce rigid orthodoxies and punitive speech codes. We just don't do that. America is not a timid nation of tame souls who need to be sheltered and protected from those with whom we disagree. That's not who we are. It will never be who we are. 
It has not been who we have been, but there are certainly those trying to make us into that nation. And again, the president unyielding and his refusal to comply with the media. The media, part of the issue between the president and the media is that the media has held, see how I, I want to say this correctly, but they've had such sway over presidents, administrations, both Republican and Democrat. I mean, the strings are a little stronger on the Democratic administrations, but they're there on the Republican administrations as well. I've seen it. Donald Trump cut those strings. He refused to be influenced by the media, and therefore they hounded and pounded him from day one. I Again, I don't like the way this administration, the way things ended, but I will tell you, I think we will look back in time, especially after a year or two of Joe Biden, and especially those who care about freedom and the founding ideals of America will look back with gratitude on the last four years. And as the president said this morning, he'll be back in some form or fashion. We'll see what that looks like. All right, when we come back, we're going to be talking with Joy Pullman, executive editor of The Federalist, about Joe Biden's initiatives for education. What does he have in store for public education? You're not going to want to miss this. We're going to talk about it because we're reading his own words. This isn't speculation. It's what he has put out there. You need to be prepared as a parent, as a grandparent. And then you need to take some action. So don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch after this. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment 
and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org slash hide. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as I mentioned uh, several times, social media cracking down on conservative speech. Don't know how long you'll be on these various platforms, but you need to stay in contact with us. Text the word STAND to 67742, 67742. Uh, we're, we're not going to go away, uh, believe me. We're going to continue on uh, whatever platform we need to to speak truth. Uh, so stay in touch with us, 67742, text the word STAND. Also tonight, prayvotestand.org, prayvotestand.org, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We will have our this week's edition of Pray Vote Stand. So you'll join us uh, again tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, prayvotestand.org. Right, we were talking earlier with John Fun about executive orders, some of the executive action focusing on education and public schools, institutions that get federal funding. Well, my next guest says the next several years are likely to reopen the floodgates to the leftist long repurposing of public schools to indoctrinate children with lies about sex. Joining me now to explain is Joy Pullman, executive editor editor of The Federalist. Joy, welcome to Washington Watch. Hi there. Thanks for having me. All right. So what does the Biden administration have in store for our children in public education? Well, Biden has promised in his document and, you know, his campaign documents that he is going to immediately reverse President um, Trump's executive order that allowed, you know, uh, reverse another Obama decision that basically was requiring schools to treat children according to, uh, to basically treat them as if they are not males or females, like they are genderless. So the Biden administration overtly is planning to, for example, you know, put boys and girls in each other's locker rooms, showers on their sports teams, on overnight trips, and all of this without, you know, pre-informing parents of their kids' potential overnight partner at a, you know, school athletic sleepover or maybe, you know, like I was in high school, debate tournament sleepover. Um, and that's not just, of course, to K-12 um, schools. This is um, the, the their organizations advising the Biden administration and now, you know, filling the ranks of its um, the people it's hiring to run the federal government 
have uh, recommended that the administration um, start requiring every single recipient of federal funds to follow these same rules. And that includes almost all of the Christian universities. Many Christian private schools, for example, are receiving federal funds for things like um, the National School Lunch and Breakfast Program. Um, And so basically they're going to do what leftists do, which is use every single pressure point that they can possibly find to advance um, their war on family, their war on sex, their war on children in order to win more power. So a couple of questions here. Number one, this is not conjecture. This is not uh, hyperbole. This is based upon what they themselves have said. And if they've if they've said it, given what they did in the, the closing days of the Obama administration, we should believe it. Oh, right. I mean, and, and Biden was not at all secretive about this. You know, and I wrote an article for this um, for the Federalist that I linked to the original documents from his campaign that openly state all of the things that I just said. You know, it's no secret. It's out in the open. It's, you know, publicly admitted and available documents. Second point you brought up, any institution that receives federal funds, people may think, well, I, you know, my kids are in a private school. Uh, they're, they're going here or they're in the if there's any connection whatsoever, as you mentioned, Correct. even the school lunch program or a college institution where there are student loans in which or it many is a Christian f- camps, you know, maybe they help foster kids, you know, or they do something else that touches on that. Many, there are many, many recipients of federal funds. I think it's actually like one third of our economy, you know, kind of is taxpayer laundered money through different contractors and, you know, uh, you know, funding streams. So, Joy, what happens to the current protections that were put in place by the Trump administration for religious organizations not being forced to violate the tenets of their faith? I mean, I would expect the Biden administration to completely erase all of those. I mean, the problem here is that, you know, really, when Republicans held Congress in the first two years of Trump's term, they didn't they you know did nothing to codify any of this, any protections for their voting constituencies who very much care about this religious liberty issue, who very much believe in the obvious you know reality that men and women are distinct sexes. Um, and, you know, Republicans failed to use their power to protect um, their constituents and to do the right thing. And therefore, the only thing left was to, you know, govern by executive order, which obviously can be repealed any time there's a different executive in play, which is exactly what's happening right now. But my experience would tell me, Joy, that the Democrats are not going to play the same way as the Republicans. They're going to use their legislative muscle to get these things through and change them knowing that the Republicans most likely will be too timid to change them in the future if they regain the majority. I am afraid that you are absolutely right. When when Democrats take power, and even when they don't have lawful power, such as with many of President Obama's executive orders, they just do whatever they want anyway, <laughs> and then dare you know courts and anyone else to stop them. And then it takes so many you know so much time for things to even maybe work through the courts that it becomes de facto law anyway. Such as the you know the the deferred action for child arrivals, the amnesty for illegal aliens under you know the age of it's, I think it's thirty three, thirty five now. Um, which, again, that's another thing, you know, Biden is planning to do completely against the law. You know, it's just anyway. Um, so this is what Democrats do when they have power. And Republicans have shown that they have refused to take you know, action to restrain and hinder and reverse, um, you know, and, and basically provide any meaningful opposition to Democrats use of power. So this leaves it to parents and grandparents to take the initiative here to protect their children, because uh, by, by the way, I have. 
an article from Joy on my website, which I highly recommend that you read. Uh, It is How Joe Biden Will Open the Floodgates to Transgendering Public Schools. So it's at the website, TonyPerkins.com. And by the way, the uh, 1776 Commission report is there as well. Uh, So I I commend those two documents to you. Now, there's there's very little. If your kids are in an institution of education outside of your home, there's very little chance that you can escape the long arm of the federal government. Parents are going to have to take action, and, and, and you put forth some of that, uh, those recommendations, in your article. What can parents do? Well, I really think that churches need to stand up and stop enabling, you know, the government to basically turn children into heathens using our, you know, our tax dollars. And there actually is a large amount of research, um, you know, that's been conducted that shows that secular institutions secularize children. And uh, we also know secular institutions, you know, take children of of conservatives and turn them into, you know, at least socialist friendly, if not outright socialist. There's also lots of track record of that happening. And, of course, you know, parents are at a very difficult time in their lives. You know, they're starting up in their careers. They may often now have college debt. They have a mortgage. It's very difficult to be in a place that they're in. And then, of course, they have kids with health bills, you know, with every other thing that you pay for raising a kid. I really think that especially grandparents, aunt, uncles, you know, church communities, other local organizations need to come around parents and make it financially possible um, for, for the, you know, for families to make sure that their children are given a robust and good education. And I don't mean just an education that doesn't include poison like the, what, what we're talking about, but an education that really is worthy of the meaning that includes truth, goodness, and beauty that bestows on them, you know, their, their heritage of the, the letters, you know, the arts, the humanities, the great literature of, you know, of our, our civilization, um, you know, the, you know, the, the Bible, you know, transcendent truth that children are never given um, in public schools and they can't be by law. So it is really time for us to stop hoping that Republicans in Congress and judges out somewhere are going to save us. And it's time for us to stop pretending, you know, that public schools aren't as bad as they are. We have to, as communities, solve this problem to protect the most vulnerable among us, who are the children, and make sure that, you know, we're not forcing the children to pay for our own comfort. Amen. Uh, that's, uh, that's all I can say. Uh, I would like to quote you. Can I quote from your article here? Because oh, when people email me, uh, I want to say, well, that was what Joy said. It wasn't me. It was Joy. <laughs> but the, 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 I, I love this line because I think you're absolutely correct. But too many Americans are lazy cowards who point fingers about problems instead of doing what it takes to solve them. Because solving problems is hard and whining on Facebook is easy. I'm telling you, we're at a point in our country where if we're going to save the country, we have to take responsibility for it. I think, and I've long been an advocate for this, so you're, you're, you're singing my, my music here, is that we need to be, begin pulling our children out of public education. Every child that's withdrawn from public education, the money goes away from that institution, and that gets their attention. If we want yeah. to, in, in every church, you talk about churches, something else churches could do. Every church could become an institution of education. They could have co-ops. They could have... And that's uh, they historically could... how it has been. When America was founded, almost every single education institution was directly descended from a religious, a church. 
You know, the, the communities came, they built a church, and they built a school. Those were the two first things that they did. And the schools were, all, all, you know, 99.99% were religious schools explicitly, you know. And so that's been completely taken over, that infrastructure, you know, by people who don't believe in, in Christ, who don't believe in, you know, fund, you know objective truth anymore, right? Um, and so we need to be responsible to our children and not force them, again, to pay, you know, for our comfort. Well, I mean, think about it. I'm, I'm, you have six children. I have five. All right, and, and my greatest uh, objective and and both concern is that my children are were raised in a way that they go off and they're successful. And I'm and I'm about halfway through. I still got to, still got some young ones at home, um, but we homeschooled. My wife did, and uh, I was I'm a homeschool graduate, but my kids are in a private Christian school. Well, and and it's different, you know, for different people, you know, different things. It's just a matter of if you invest in your child, but then you send them off every day to a godless institution that's going to indoctrinate them with the the values that are 180 degrees from what you're trying to instill in them. And then you wonder at the end of the day, why did they why did they go a different route? Well, because they're spending so much more time in this godless institution that is hostile to everything you believe and everything you've tried to impart to your children. That's exactly right. And and look, churches need to, again, you know, this is, parents can't do this alone, as you well know. Many, you know, homeschoolers live in communities. They have co-ops. They have support networks that they develop. Because, you know, because, you know, families have lots of different arrangements they may need to make to make and take right. good care of their kids, and that's fine. But, you know, churches absolutely need to prioritize, besides bringing their parishioners, you know, the gospel, and, and for me, I'm a liturgical Christian, Protestant, a sac- besides bringing their, their parishioners the word of God and the sacraments, then, you know, the, the education of their young in the faith, it should be their number one priority, nothing else, you know. Well, that's Everything, what the Scripture donuts, teaches the us. Donut, exactly. The donut budget needs to be cut. You know, if it needs to be cut, the donut should go away. You know, that's the number one contentious issue at my church. That's why I'm raising it. But, you know, basically, you know, there's no other budget besides the pastor's salary and making it possible for you know, the word to be preached. That should be as important as educating the children and keeping them in the faith and preserving their souls. Joy, when you look at the quality of education, put, put aside the liberal indoctrination, put, 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 put aside the issues of confusing our kids about what bathroom to use and all of that stuff. And I know that's important, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. minimizing that. Those but are let's symptoms talk about, of the rot at the core. Uh, say that again? Oh, those are just, you know, those are symptoms of the rot at the right. core. I mean, what I always think about is if your school will even allow this to be a possibility, how can you trust them with anything? Right. And, and so my, my point is when you actually push that aside and you look at the core academics, that is woefully mm-hmm. inadequate. So it's not like it's a big challenge to educate your child in a different way. I mean, I, I actually oh, yeah. think <laughs> I actually think if you just keep your child from school, in many ways, they're going to be better off uh, if oh, you just have conversations. Absolutely have had that conversation where we, we call it the feral children thesis. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, our kids would be better off feral. We could, you know, it's a joke. Feral children in our yard with library books than they would in a, in uh, a I mean, it, that it, teaches them it, to hate us and to hate the faith. It, it, you're right. I mean, I know they that would. that's 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 it's. You know, just I, I want get, my children get a be, library card and start reading them everything good that you can you, find. You know that that will be better. Absolutely. So uh, my my point is, the 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 bar has been lowered so much by public education. Yes, yes. It doesn't take parents much 
of an investment in time and energy to Correct. give their children a, uh, a head start, an advantage over their peers in today's culture. That's my well, point. Well, I mean, let's just put it, a, a third of today's adult Americans are functionally illiterate. You know, so if you get your kid to read, he's already in the top two thirds, right? You can do that by his, the time he's seven years old, right? <laughs> so, yeah. you, you know, so you, you, you know, and then, you know, you teach him a few more things and then he'll be in the top half. Your kid, in a, if he has a work ethic, he'll be, you know, employable Absolutely. until the end of his days. You, you know, this is not really rocket science. <laughs> it's not. In fact, parents did it for generations. They taught their kids. They invested in them. And guess what? America became a great nation, but we're we're in decline. And I think in part because we have outsourced education uh, to Absolutely. to those, as you said, have repurposed education to advance their indoctrination of uh, our children with the lies about sex. Joy Pullman, we're out of time, but I want to thank you for joining us. Excellent piece. Thank you for being so vocal on an issue that I think is critically important to the future of our country. Thank you. All right, folks. Um, Check it out. Go to TonyPerkins.com and you can see that. And again, I'll just remind you, parents, the Lord has given us as parents the authority and the responsibility to educate our children. We can delegate the authority, but we can never delegate the responsibility. God will hold you and I as parents accountable for what our children have been taught and what they have been raised to believe. Think about that. Join us tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, prayvotestand.org for this week's edition of Pray Vote Stand. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 